This is Andy Ho, host of the Continuing Education series, a podcast produced for the members of the French Language Division of the American Translators Association, offering educational content about the craft of French to English and English to French translation and the division. A brief comment here. My dog Huckleberry makes a cameo in this episode with his signature howl, so if you hear some background noise, that's him saying hi to everyone. Today, we're joined by Ruth Simpson, a freelance French to English translator since 2008. Ruth is based in France currently, and she specializes in beauty and cosmetics and wine and spirits. She has a diploma in wine and spirits, which I'm very excited to talk about, is a qualified member of ITI with certified translator status, and apparently is a keen musician as well, very multi-talented. Welcome today, Ruth. Thank you so much. Multi-talented, I don't know. Certainly like to try lots of new things. Um, so uh, yeah, that's I, I love uh, playing all different instruments. I've got ukuleles, I've got a violin, and I love singing as well. So yeah, but uh, my husband would say probably not multi-talented, just uh, multi-interested. <laughs> well, isn't that the prototypical translator? Interested in a little bit of everything? Yeah, yeah, probably. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> So let's dive right in. Um, the main thing I wanted personally, selfishly, to talk to you about today is your specialization in wine. Now, I translate for the food industry, but I specifically do not translate wine because it is, as I'm sure you're going to tell me, it is its own deal. Um, right. I'm sure it's a specialization, yeah. a dream specialization for many people. How did you get into it? Well, both of my specializations, um, cosmetics and wine, uh, both could seem like dream specializations to a lot of people, um, but they really do all involve urgent translations, demanding clients, tricky words, just like everyone else's specialist fields. Um, so wine and, and cosmetics also uh, come under the, barrier, the umbrella of what I like to call witch cream or fluff translations. Um, they're, they're very much in the non-vital category when you compare them with like important work done by medical translators or legal translators. Um, that has the benefit of taking the pressure off mentally, um, but you'd be surprised actually how many cosmetics brands take lipstick as seriously as they do a, a drug trial, as a, a pharmaceutical industry would take a drug trial. Um, well, um, how did I first get into wine translation? Um, I was working in Paris um, doing English teaching. I was actually working at L'Oreal's luxury product division, which is how I got into cosmetics translation. Um, and my boyfriend at the time, who is now my husband, he was also working in Paris in advertising, uh, but he had a family wine estate in Chablis. And he knew that at some point in the future he was going to take on the the wine, the wine, uh, the wine domain, the wine estate in uh, uh, that belonged to his family. Uh, but we were still living in Paris at that point, so the Burgundy countryside was uh, pretty far away from our thoughts. Um, one day he decided he'd had enough of the metro boulot dodo lifestyle, and uh, he decided to start a year-long training course in a specialist college near Chablis. Um, and so I went down to three days a week in Paris and two days a week in Chablis. And I created my business and began contacting agencies. And from that point, I was working just in cosmetics. Um, 
I eventually took an interest in wine when I moved here more permanently in 2009 when I had my first child and I was struggling to keep up with conversations at the dinner table. <laughs> um, my husband's family and the friends we'd made here started talking about wine and I couldn't follow along. I was a bit struggling with the, the vocabulary and I didn't really understand what was going on. I'd always enjoyed drinking it <laughs> like lots of people but uh, didn't quite know how to get to grips to get to grips with the technical and uh, more descriptive uh, vocabulary that was in French and a little let alone in English so uh, not in neither language um, I researched some qualifications in the field and I wanted to do uh, the qualification in English so I found the WSET which is the Wine and Spirit Education Trust um, so that's how I first got into um, specializing in wine um, was through my family connection with my husband and my qualifications with the WSET. Okay, well, so that kind of answers my next question about which came first, the, the chicken or the egg, the wine or the translation. Right. Yeah, yeah the, so the cosmetics definitely came first because that was for me the most obvious choice having spent, I spent four years working in the offices of L'Oreal's luxury products division. So I was working with marketers and uh, people people coming into daily contact with the English of the beauty industry. And so that really gave me a big jumping off point for setting up as a freelance translator in that world. So tell me more about this uh, wine and spirits diploma that you obtained. Mm -hmm. How um, how did you find about find out about this diploma? What did it involve? Uh, what kind of people uh, take this diploma, and what all yeah. did you learn? Um, well, I learned so much. Um, the um, how I got into it was when I contact I contacted the WSET and I explained my situation. I living in Shabli, being starting to become a bit familiar with the world of wine. And they suggested that I start at their level two, which is what they call the intermediate level. Um, the intermediate level is a short three-day course in London. Uh, and that it was very quick to do, it was quite accessible. Then I was encouraged to move on to the level three, the advanced course, uh, which is five days in London again. And then after that, uh, this is about a year long, uh, time span between the two I was encouraged to do the level four diploma which is a very very different beast uh, the diploma is two years long well the one I did is two years and it involved four week-long classroom sessions split out over the two years and a dissertation on a subject and lots and lots of three-hour exams with tastings as well so it's very very intense for those two years and my son was only I think 18 months when I started. So that was a very full on time, as well as translating full time by then. Um, the people doing the course with me were all wine enthusiasts, obviously. Um, lots of them from were from Majestic, which is a UK based wine merchant. Some of them were retirees. They just wanted to learn more. There, I think there was a journalist. There was an Italian winemaker there, too, and people working for other other wine merchants. Uh, so lots and lots of different backgrounds, but not one single translator except me. <laughs> so actually, I was going to ask, um, did that help with any networking? I mean, did any of your classmates end up, you know, being sources of work ah. for you? 
That's a good question. Um, that it could have been, couldn't it? But it actually wasn't. No, I didn't. I kept in touch with, I would think, three or four people from the course. Um, one especially who came to visit me in Shabli, and uh, we're good friends. But uh, actually, no work came from that uh, initial training period. But after that, it was a different story. Because uh, shall I go on to say what I what I developed after that? Please. Um, so I developed uh, some training courses for different associations. Um, it actually started out as a tasting session at the end of a WordFast uh, conference. I did an hour of a brief A to Z of the year in the vineyard and then some tasting exercises for the people just as a fun end to one of the days of training with WordFast. And that was picked up by another association, the Met Mediterranean Editors and Translators Association, who asked me to develop it into um, uh, a, lot, a sort of half-day workshop, which I did. And then ITI, the another association, picked up on that and asked me to develop it to a full day. So all of that, um, just from a very short, hour-long, fun tasting session, uh, it developed into quite a, a serious a few rounds of uh, of specialist wine translation training for other translators. And that did uh, sort of uh, establish me as a specialist wine translator. And then I started getting work, yes, references from other translators and people in the wine business who noticed um, that I was offering those training courses. Okay, so indirectly then? Um, yeah, indirectly. Nobody actually at the course said, oh, I want you to translate something that I've been asked to do. But um, but certainly as a result of, yeah, yeah. All right. I just want to point out to our listeners, this is networking at its finest. Um, it's not always <laughs> yeah. about direct connections, but about one thing leading to another. So keep Absolutely. that in mind. Yeah, and in those, in those training courses that I gave, I was often asked, yes, but how do we get into wine translation? And I've I've probably done five or six sessions of, of training, including cosmetics as well. I also developed a cosmetics training course for other translators. And at the end, or it's in feedback, often people say, well, how do I do it, though? How do I get into it? And it's so different for everybody. All I can do is say what I did and how it worked for me. And that's the only advice I can give because I can't give you a list of people to contact, obviously. Um, so that's it's sometimes quite frustrating because I really want to help people, but I don't quite know how to go about doing that other than telling them to look for themselves. <laughs> yeah, there's not a single pathway to success in freelancing, which is um, both wonderful and devastating, I find. <laughs> yes, that's true. Yeah, and actually the very best client that I've ever had is a, a publishing house, which led to six books which is a whole other story, but I met at a at a, a party. I met this. I met someone at a party who ended up being my very best client. So it's it's a strange world. <laughs> All right, I'm just writing this down. If I want six book deals, I should go to parties and drink wine. That's Got right. It. Yes, six. <laughs> That's the exact advice I would give. Yes, six book All right, deals. Excellent. Go to a party. <laughs> And talk, talk to people. But that is a good, uh, uh, that is a good piece of advice is always talk to people about what you do, because you never know when it's going to be really, really useful. Absolutely. That's, that's a really good point. Yeah, always, I, I try to always drop in conversation what I do just to plant seeds. Um, yeah, absolutely. 
So back to your your courses, um, mm -hmm. everybody thinks about the the wine tasting aspect of learning about wine, but did you learn about technical aspects? What else did you learn? It couldn't have all been fun and games or we'd all be doing oh, it, no. right? No, it really wasn't fun and games. And especially, you know, it was quite a convivial atmosphere. It was We were there for a week and we were all in London and we did sort of have a few evenings out. So I can tell you that tasting vodka at 9 a.m. on a hangover is really not for the faint-hearted <laughs> but uh that wasn't a, a particularly technical session but there were very very technical sessions um it covered uh viticulture so all about growing grapes how grapes are grown how how you prune a vine or in different places they have different pruning techniques so that can be a quite a struggle to remember all the different places and all the different pruning techniques so here in Chablis we have a, a, a pruning technique called the guillot which is just one cane or two canes for the double guillot and in a place for example such as Beaujolais they have another form of pruning which is called gobelet which is much more like a, the, the vines are grown like a bush rather than like a single cane so all of that technical aspect has to be covered and that's just in France the difference is there and the course covered the whole world so there was more than a few different pruning techniques to remember then you've got the chemistry of vinification of fermentation um, all of that so you've got your history and your geography in viticulture you've got your chemistry and vinification and then your creative writing in the tasting tasting notes how to write an objective tasting note which is quite difficult at first because uh, as you can imagine, there's a big difference between, oh, this wine tastes great and, and this wine is high in acid, low in alcohol, etc. So it, you really have to learn how to do an objective tasting note. And then all the vocabulary to do with um, marketing and uh, how to sell a wine as well and the food pairing. So there's a lot, a lot, a lot to learn. <laughs> okay, I'm starting to see the similarities between translating wine and translating cosmetics. Because it seems to yes. me that both seem very uh, light and like a daily item we can all relate to, but can be surprisingly technical as well. But then there's still the Absolutely. transformation creative aspect. That's so right. And it actually has a, quite a lot of, of crossover, especially in terms of, um, I mean, very specifically in terms of when you're doing it, when you're writing a tasting note and describing aromas and you're describing a perfume, it's so similar. There's a lot of, of crossover there. Uh, but absolutely, in cosmetics, you've got the chemistry part as well and the medical, almost medical side to it. If you're dealing with um, the, the cosmetical vigilance, uh, the, the people working on side effects of cosmetics, uh, that can be uh, very, very chemi chemi chemistry based, uh, just like vinification. And um, yeah, so there's, there's lots of crossover there. So what do you find to be some of the hidden challenges of translating wine then is it the creative aspect or the technical aspect or something else I think that depends on the translator for me it's not so much the creative writing part because I love a bit of whipped cream as I said fluff translation I love that for me it's really knowing your stuff so when you're translating wine you really have to have a full grasp of the whole process um, I've got a great example for you um, I had a text I have texts several regularly in French that say things like le vin est ensuite fermenté dans les fûts ou dans les cuves which can seem to be quite a straightforward sentence but when you look at it you think they're saying that the wine is fermented you don't ferment wine unless it's a secondary fermentation you ferment juice or must so you have to know that at this point in the production process that you're writing about 
this is when you're dealing with juice and not wine. So you then, I always flag this up and I always say, look, this is, this is a problem because we're not fermenting wine, we're fermenting juice. And they regularly come back to me and go, oh yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Uh, we're going to change the French because it's wrong. So this is when the, the original source text is not written by the producer. Obviously it's written by a communication agency or, or a, a journalist or some, some other um, non-specialist, um, not by wine journalists, I'd like to say, because they never would write something like that. Uh, but uh, definitely uh, some kind of communication agency writing things like that that don't seem to be wrong when you read them, but then when you know the process, they are wrong and you really have to flag it up. And that just creates immediate added value. As a translator, you're very valuable because you can improve this source as well. All right, you are validating my decision not to translate wine because clearly I don't even <laughs> no. know what I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I would never have picked up on juice versus wine. Wow. Well, I mean, when you've seen it once and you've realized it once, then after that, it's, it's very easy. And, you know, there aren't a hundred examples of that. I'm not constantly finding errors in people's texts. <laughs> but um, there, there's actually another challenge that I could talk about, which is knowing when not to translate. Um, there are some words in the world of, uh, some words in the world of wine, uh, which have to stay in the source language quite frequently. And that's often the case when you're dealing with French. Uh, you've got words like terroir, which is the whole environment around a vineyard, not just the land, the soil, but also the weather, the exposure, the, the slope, which direction the slope is facing. All of that can be called terroir. And there's also a stage in the champagne making process, which is called prise de mousse, which is often left in French. Um, again, going back to the pruning techniques, guillot is uh, left in French as well. But you can find that out yourself by looking at a bit of target language um, information. If you go to uh, winery websites based in California or Australia, uh, you can find those terms left in the French or even used in French in those um, on those websites. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, I know, you know, obviously a lot of this stuff comes from the French. Um, you know, terroir, mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of people know, uh, even if you're not a wine connoisseur, but some of those other terms you mentioned, um, does it take mm. a bit of an English-speaking wine connoisseur to know them? Or, I mean, is it really that widespread in, in English? That's a good question, because you, you have to think about your audience as well, uh, which is really when you would be using a word like prise de mousse, you would think, well, is the audience going to understand that? So that would be a case of, well, let's look exactly at who it's aimed at, and then we'll see if it's people that are supposed to understand those terms, then let's leave it. But maybe you could add an, a simple explanation um, to the sentence, like prise de mousse, uh, comma, the period in the production process in which the champagne forms its bubbles, something like that. But yeah, I think know your audience. That, yeah, now that I think about it, you're, I mean, obviously you're, you're right. Um, that's very key. I'm thinking about my mother who doesn't know the difference between red and white. <laughs> oh, okay. And then, you that's know, uh, <laughs> a true wine connoisseur who I'm, you know, they can get pretty uh, pedantic and persnickety oh, <laughs> sometimes. I know I hate that though. I, in the beginning, when I do my, when I do my translation in the wine industry workshops, the, one of my first slides is a, a snob, a wine snob. And uh, I put a big red cross through it and say, there's no wine snobbery. It's a specialism just like anything else. And just because it has this reputation doesn't mean it has to be 
you know, uh, dripping with uh, with snobbery. Um, and that's really getting back to the objective tasting notes. That's really the what you can use as your foundation. It's, you're not saying it's good or bad. You're not saying you know this and I know that. It's is it high in acid or low in acid? Is it can you smell cherry or can you not smell cherry? And this is how it this is how you can eradicate that snobbery that is rife. Yes. So um I, I want to go back to this this 9 a.m. vodka <laughs> tasting. <laughs> um do you so your diploma is in wine and spirits. Do you actively translate for the spirits industry as well? Yes, yes, yes. It is I, I, it it could be said to be a separate field, but at the end of the day, it's still fermentation, this, and then the distillation part. So it's just a new, uh, it's an added extra onto the process. With wine, yes, you're only dealing with grapes, and with spirits, you're dealing with all manner of, um, of raw materials. But there is a lot, there's a lot of crossover again. Talking about crossover, there's a, a lot of crossover with wine and spirits. Um, I think there's probably less focus on the production process when you're dealing with when you're translating materials for the spirits industry. They they tend to be big brand clients rather than small producers, like the wine industry. A lot a lot of small producers doing their own websites, whereas spirits tends to be big brands doing their marketing campaigns. So the emphasis is more on their image. Um, spirits translations I find them to be more creative, uh, more journalistic in style. And they focus on experience around the spirit rather than how it's made. Uh, when I first started out, I did a lot of translating for um, Cointreau, the spirits brand, the orange uh, liqueur. And that was a really fascinating mix because they did talk about their production process, but it was always the same thing. Sweet and bitter oranges and the distillation and everything. It, it, there was a lot of boilerplate text for that. But there were all these different experiences with like star mixologists, coming into Paris and there was a campaign with Dita Von Teese and there's a lot of uh, really creative opportunities there which is quite very different from viticulture in rural Burgundy. A <laughs> uh, huge generalization here would you maybe say that wine is for nerdy introverts and spirits is for extroverts? Oh no definitely not. Okay. No. <laughs> No, you have to look at uh, just like some of the big California brands like Screaming Eagle and some of the Australian like Penfolds in Australia. These are no shy violets. I mean, they're big brands with a lot to say. So, yeah, no, definitely not. But there's probably a little bit more subtlety in wine um, than there is in spirits because spirits generally taste the same every year. Uh, probably uh, I'm generalizing there and I think uh, Hennessy and um, would uh, disagree with me because that's the the cognac uh, changes year to year and there's a lot of difference there but but generally yes big brand spirits uh, taste the same every time every year and wine is obviously different each vintage so that's a big difference there. <laughs> so um, what are some misconceptions from fellow translators about what you do. I mean, clearly I have stuck my foot in a couple of them, but what do people <laughs> assume about uh, about your job? Well, I think one of the misconceptions is that there's some elite group of people who have been somehow born into this wine specialism and they can't possibly, and other translators can't possibly permeate into that world. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Um, I know I do have the advantage of my husband being a winemaker, but I really did start out from scratch. 
um, when I decided to contact the WSET. And I was 35 at that point. I was, you know, I wasn't a, an enfant du pays, as they say around here. Um, I mean, it doesn't do me any harm, admittedly, that my company, my freelance company has its address in Chablis. I live in Chablis. Uh, but it's really not impossible to learn a specialization from scratch. I mean, doesn't everyone learn their specializations? Like, nobody is born uh, specializing in medical, for example. So I think that's one of the misconceptions is that it's it's only for this restricted group of people who have already who already know everything about it. That's really not the case. That's comforting. Um, I, I have another friend who works in wine. She's a buyer for a major retailer here in the United States. And I, it seems like the more you get into the into wine, the less snobby you are about it. It's the people like me oh, who don't know anything yes. about it, who um, assume that it's a very highfalutin sort of career. But um, she's very yeah. ecumenical about it, you know. But I think when you really love something, then you want everyone to share in it. So you obviously break down all those uh, snobbery barriers when you want to share your your passion and your your fascination with something. Um, definitely, I don't know why it's the case. I don't. I think it's to do with maybe wine waiters, or sommeliers in the nineteen eighties, perhaps smirking at people when they don't order the correct wine. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's uh, it's a mystery to me. But maybe it's because it's to be paired with fine food in this sort of rich elite atmosphere maybe that's why but it's a shame all right so my new year's resolution is to drink more wine and just enjoy it there you go. <laughs> yeah exactly just enjoy it which is also the question you can ask yourself once you know if you are translating or if you're working in the wine industry you, know, you can do your objective tasting note but then at the end of the day is it are you do you enjoy it is it nice and you is the taste pleasant and that is where the pleasure comes from so I think you should definitely, um, yeah, try try more wines. And what I don't like is when people say, oh, I don't like red wine or I don't like white wine. It's like, well, have you tried a selection? Because they are so different. You really try all different ones and, and then decide. I mean, nobody likes everything. Not everyone needs to like everything in the world, but definitely the reds can be heavy and, and powerful and uh, heady, whereas they can also be light and fruity and uh, crunchy almost if you've got this sort of, red cherry kind of uh, strawberry flavors coming through with them um, it's perfect for some fruit salad or something even which you'd never a snob would never say that right <laughs> all right so um a couple final questions we we touched on your translation of cosmetics but you also translate for uh personal development which is very interesting. Mm -hmm. are, there, are there, just very quickly, so um, give me a brief overview of that and then tell me about any overlaps between cosmetics and wine and spirits and personal development. Mm -hmm. Well, personal development got started because I had a contact who works working at, with Danone, um, the yogurt and dairy, lots of, lots of different products uh, company. And Danone organized this uh, seminar which is uh, twice yearly, three times yearly, called Eve. And it's uh, all about, it's for women. And they they invite majority of women with some men so that the men feel like what it's like to be in the minority. And it's all to do with uh, daring and uh, taking the first steps and breaking through the glass ceiling and, and ways of doing that. And that they publish lots of different articles on their blog uh, to do with resilience and... Uh, um, well, all different feminist issues. And I've been lucky enough to translate for them for several years now. Um, the crossover there is really 
not a lot of overlap between cosmetics and personal development there. Uh, but also the the books that I've been translating that started out with a personal development book as well called Nudge Management, all about how you can make small changes in a business environment to change people's behavior. So some would say manipulation, but I like to say nudge. Um, so this is, for example, uh, post sticking a little fly on a urinal to keep men's aim clear and uh, keep mess off the floor. <laughs> So that's a, that would be an example of a nudge. And uh, that book was all about bringing those kind of initiatives into business and to improve efficiency and, uh, and employee satisfaction as well. Uh, so that, that, I mean, that's just a brief overview of my personal development translation. But that varies a lot, yeah. All right. <laughs> but, sorry, I'm still getting over the fly in the urinal. Maybe we'll call it incentivization and just working with people's incentivization, natural Incentivization, I like that, Yeah. <laughs> That's hysterical. All right. Well, final question. Is there anything else you want people to know about you, about your work, about the world? Um, I would say don't be scared to specialize because it's really rewarding when you get recommended for a job from someone that has heard about you that you don't know. That's really a, a really lovely seal of approval. Um, if, if, you if you manage to become the translator that springs to people's minds when they think of an area, then that's definitely a sign that you're doing something right. Also, I found that uh, sharing knowledge is a, is a wonderful thing. Giving workshops to other translators uh, really did set me up as a reference, as I said earlier, in those areas. Um, and uh, yeah, they brought me more work. And, you know, contrary to what you might think, like it's really not about creating competitors, because a lot, I know a lot of translators would hesitate to give training because they're like, well, if if they know how to specialize in that industry, then I'm going to get overtaken. But it really isn't the case. I haven't found that to be the case at all. Quite the opposite. People see you in a more in a more authoritative light when you've been a tutor for them. Um, so yeah, what else would I like people to remember is uh, try wine, try all different kinds of wine, and uh, don't be scared of the wine world. All right. Words of wisdom from the queen of wine herself. <laughs> Pay oh, attention, no. guys. All right. Well, thank you so much, Ruth, for your time today. Uh, excuse my dog in the background. He's mad that he's penned up right now. Uh, That's fine. It's real life. <laughs> thank you so much for your for your words. And thank you for listening to me. Thank you. This concludes our episode for today. You can subscribe to the Continuing Education Series podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes by searching for Continuing Education Series. You can contact the FLD at divisionfld at atanet.org, visit our website at www.ata-divisions.org FLD, or get in touch with us on social media. This is Andy Ho signing off. Thanks for listening and à bientôt.